0: Uh, I had the privilege to speak at a veterans' nursing home, where I had the privilege and honor, if you, I can put it that way, to meet several World War II veterans. Yes, there's there's some that are still alive, and uh, having that conversation with my daughter on the way back was uh, was very interesting. Um, I asked her, I asked her. She doesn't know I'm about to share this, but uh, I'll ask forgiveness later. I asked her, I said, what did it feel like to, to meet a World War II veteran? And she said, it, it was okay. I'm like, well, why, why, do you, why do you give me that answer? And, and she said, well, because it didn't happen that long ago. And, and I said, let's think about this for a minute. The war happened in the 1940s, this is 80 years ago, so that means that they were at least 17 years old when they went to war and then I could see the light bulb go on. And then it was this moment of honor and awe and respect just kind of in her eye, I was like, oh my goodness, these people were old. In a respectful way. And then when when we talked we're talking more about it, the gentleman that we met, I should have I should have brought this given the picture so Danielle could see this. This was a war veteran that fought World War II and Vietnam. And So it's always interesting so to to think of what they went through. To think of when you ask them who they are, you if you ask a Marine, he will always be a Marine. If you ask a a veteran, they'll always refer to themselves as a veteran, as somebody who fought for our freedoms. This morning I want to ask you the questions is, who are you? Who are you? If I could ask you real quickly, as we begin, one word answer, and finish this sentence for me. You are. One word. One word. Christian. Grateful. Saved. Had to be a teacher to give me three... One word, can't follow instructions. (laughs) Blessed, forgiven. You know there's one word that you have not, none of you have echoed. No, it's not child of God. It's not grateful. It ain't blessed. You've all shared that already. I need my clicker. Saved has been sh- has been sh- shared. Savior? savior, you're you're a savior. That's an interesting concept. Um, a, servant. a servant. You're in the right track. You are a minister. None of you shared that. None of you said that. But I want to I want to share with you an important. Very important Bible text that will bring, I hope, a better understanding of who you are. You are a minister. How many of you ever thought of yourselves as a minister? Few, okay? A few. For some of you who raised your hand, maybe that took a long time to realize that. But here's a text, the founding text I want to base this, today's message off with. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Did you get that? Did you really? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. See, when you look into, the, into this letter... When Peter designed or was impressed to write, he had a specific target audience. You know who they were? It was not the Jews. It was actually, though many of them did write and read his letter, but when he wrote this, his intention was to get those who were non-Jews and became converted into Christianity. His idea was, if people read this, I want them to understand you have a sense of purpose and an identity in Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that this purpose falls in line with priesthood. Now, the priesthood of that time was considered those who were the Sadducees, excuse me, not Sadducees, the Pharisees, they were the priests, okay? And their primary focus was holiness. There's a story of a particular rabbi that was getting ready for him to, to participate in, in the Day of Atonement. And as he was getting ready to participate in the Day of Atonement, Fourteen days prior to that happening, he began to make sure that he would not defile himself because any defilement would prevent him from participating in that type of ceremony. As this day approached, as he continued to make sure that he was holy and sanctified, At the very last moment, he withdrew from the ceremony. And when asked what happened, his statement was, I stepped into a Gentile's spit. What does that mean? See, they were focused so much on their own spiritual walk with God that they viewed not only themselves higher than everybody else, they viewed themselves as in the higher level. They were the ones who were the paid ministers. They were the selected individuals. And so they viewed the Jewish non-priestly as a lower form. And then when you look at Gentiles, the priest viewed the Gentiles, and the Jews, as a matter of fact, viewed Gentiles as less than human sometimes. And so their primary focus was personal holiness. It is estimated that there were about 7,500 priests during the time of Peter when he wrote this. So when you think about this, when he wrote 1 Peter, the target audience, primary target audience, was converted Gentiles. But to have stated that you Gentiles are a a royal priesthood a chosen generation can you imagine the revolution the spiritual revolution that that may have caused as a result it caused such great impact to the f- f- matter that Peter was when he was put to death and murdered they were going to hang him on the cross he said "It's I cannot die like my savior put me upside down you know It wasn't just Peter who understood this concept. It was also a young man by the name of Martin Luther. And this is what he wrote. Christ does not have two bodies or two different kinds of body. One temporal and one spiritual. Whoever has undergone baptism may boast that he is already a priest he he understood the concept of being of royal priesthood is that as a chosen generation not that this generation is better than the one but he's talking about that as each generation that accepts Christ you are now chosen you are considered holy you are of royal priesthood because of what was done for us so much so that this was one of the main factors that contributed to the Reformation back in the 15 to 1600s. Martin Luther was calling out the same idea that the Pharisees had in relationship to the, the, the Jewish people putting themselves at a higher level. Now Martin Luther is saying, hey, you priests you you may have the title but the word of god gives us the authority i have a feeling that i'm still going over over everybody's head right now you're not you tracking with me let's continue much farther ahead okay much deeper than than martin luther or More into our time, but back in the 1970s, this gentleman by the name of Gottfried Oosterwall, in the book entitled Mission Possible, he writes this, The Christianity that conquered the Roman Empire was not an affair of brilliant preachers addressing packed congregations. When we try to picture how it was done, we see domestic service. Workers doing it through their work, small shopkeepers through their trade, and so on, rather than eloquent propagandists sawing mass meetings of interest inquirers. It was a lay movement. There There were different ministries according to the gifts bestowed upon them. It was not the priests. It was not the pastors. It was not the, the, the paid clergymen who initiated the Great Awakening. It was laymen. It was the laymen who protested in the Great Reformation. And it was the laymen. And laymen in the Bible designates a group of special individuals. It's not somebody who was less than. It's somebody who has gifts. It's somebody who has an opportunity to present something. It was the lay movement that created Christianity to spread like wildfire. So having had this in the background, now it's time for you to talk a little bit. What is more sacred a pastor preaching or a plumber fixing a pipe? I'm serious. What is more priestly? Go. What is more sacred? A pastor preaching or a plumber fixing a pipe? And which is more priestly? Does that make sense to you? If you don't, if you don't understand... Raise your hand and I'll help you. All right. So. um, Which is more sacred? Is there anybody here who feels that one role is more sacred than the other? Okay. Uh, Which one is more priestly? Oh man! I think I think some people are scared of sharing their own opinion. No, so how many? Of you think, how many of you think? Yes, Loy. So they seem to meet with the individuals. I don't have a big enough. Mouth. <laughs> um. He. They. Oh. Um, he has an opportunity to meet with the individuals one-on-one. Number one, he's there to do a service, and it's not a service that everyone would want to do. So I know when the toilets at the school are clogged, I'm like, don't tell me. I don't, I don't want to know. It's not something that you want to do. So he's there <laughs> to do a service, and not to mention he's able to minister to the individuals on a one-on-one basis. And um, whereas a pastor, he's speaking to a congregation but I think for the pastor, it's definitely more intimate, and individuals may be more willing to listen to the pastor. I mean, excuse me, to the plumber, maybe, than they are to the pastor. So in that sense, he's more priestly. Yeah, okay, I, I like where, where you're going in there. Okay. All right, we got Rick in the back, and then we'll bring it over this side. I'm sharing for somebody at my table that was too shy to tell. <laughs> but um, her dad was a pastor, and he was visiting a family— and they wanted nothing to do with anything that he would share from the Bible. And one day on a visit, the, uh, the woman said, I've got so much trouble today. I've got a leaking pipe. And he says, oh, where is it? And she t- showed him to it. And he says, oh, I can fix that. And uh, so he fixed the pipe. So this is a pastor and a plumber. A plumber. <laughs> so it really fits your story. And... Um, and after he took care of that physical need for the family, they wanted to hear more about the Bible, and they ended up joining the church. Okay, amen, amen. We have a couple of comments here. Uh, Sue? And then No. Sue, come on. Well, when I, look at the, when I was thought about the answer, there is no difference between a plumber and a pastor. Both are like of a house. For example, the human body is like the, considered a temple. Okay. And when a plumber comes to the house, he brings forth water to the house and from the, from the house. So the pastor also brings water to the church and from, from the Lord. Okay. So both are the same. Both are no. the same. You mentioned, you touched on some. Thank you, uh, thank you for sharing some. You're connecting now with last week's sermon, where where Rick mentioned and talked to us about we belonging to a, a body. Right? There, there is many members. How many bodies? Remember what Martin Luther, we, I just put on the screen here for you, there are no two, Christ doesn't have two different types of bodies. So if we have different functions, there are many members, I see a little slice of heaven right here, okay? We, have, we come from various backgrounds, different, various cultures, various upbringings, various traditions, but in heaven we're all going to be part of one body. And here on in this earth, we're also part of one body. Yes, it's kind of a trick question. But the reality of it is, unless we address it, this question has infiltrated our daily lives much more than we expected because we now, we create divisions in our own minds, in our own hearts because I would venture to say, because we don't quite really grasp the contextual reason for why we are priests, why you are a minister. What is that? I've shared with you many, many times before, this gentleman, he was my high school and uh, Danielle's high school math teacher, professor, uh, his name Paul Krieger. And he wrote on my, on my yearbook, um, I think it was my sophomore year, he said, Art, you have great potential. As a matter of fact, my first sermon here in this church, I said, Naples, you have great potential. Some of you may remember that. The reality is, is when somebody has, usually when they tell you, especially to your face, is because they're your fan. They love you or they want to see you succeed. They want to see you thrive, right? But guess what? You know, God is your number one fan. When God is your number one fan, it means that he's there rooting for you, not against you. He's there making sure that you understand he desires good for you, not evil. He desires for you to be successful and not fail. But when we do fail, we think of ourselves as unworthy. But let, let let me share a little secret for you. You know what? game is over the fight has been won already maybe you need to, to let that sink in into your lives really each and every single day the game is over we're playing with the scripted ending and god why wouldn't god be our number one fan Why wouldn't he want you to succeed and thrive and be successful? And we're not talking about worldly riches. We're talking about our spiritual well-being and how that permeates and, and flows from our daily lives. Check this out. For it is God who works in you both to will. And to do his good pleasures. It initiated with God. He's the one who set the plans in motion. Ephesians says, since the foundations of this world, there was a plan already established. Should something happen. Jesus didn't wait until, oh shoot, he's bit the fruit. Okay, what are we going to do? Let's call up a, a committee and see how we're going to play this one out. It was already done. You think this is good news? Check this one out. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Do you believe in that? Do you believe that Jesus recreates in you a new heart? You see, oh, pastor, but what if I fall? So what? The fact of the matter is, check this one out. For we are his what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Now, let me just open parentheses here real quick. The good works is not something that you do in of yourself. You were created for, in other words, God has established that he, would ha- he has a plan for you, and the good works is for you to exercise his plan, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is not something that you do to earn his favor, this is something that you do because he has already set the things in motion, he's already fought the fight. He's already won the race. That's why Paul could say, and now there's a, cr- a crown laid up before me be- because I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now, therefore, there's a crown set before me, not only to me, but all those who love his appearing." God has done the work. The, the problem is that we don't understand. We think that his will is, or oh, he wants me to become a pastor or he wants me to become a doctor or he wants me... No, God will let you choose who you, you want to become. However, his biggest priority is for you to share the love that he has given you that is enabling you to be the person he has planned you to be. His will is not necessarily for you to be a fill in the blank. His will for you is to be somebody who walks in good works because of Jesus Christ. There's a billionaire by the name of Howard Hughes. Some of you may recognize him or the name. Handsome young man. Billionaire. Heavily invested in aviation and contributed immensely towards the progress of science in the in the realm of aviation. But somewhere along the line, he found out that germs were bad for you. He went to such an extreme that he had given instructions for his butler that he needed to wrap the kitchen utensil in, in napkins and then wrap it in plastic cellophane and then wrap again the handle in tissue and then he would take it from them because that's the only way that it was, he would not contaminate himself. And then when he would eat, he would just take off or peel off or tear off the, the portion that would go into the food as to not to touch the handle. This is the very definition of salvation through works because at the end of his life, this is the same man. He wore tissue boxes for shoes and he died skin and bones. To give you perspective, I am six foot four and I weigh 215 pounds. Howard Hughes was six foot four. At the time of his death, he weighed 90 pounds. When we start focusing on the things that are th- the minors, when we start focusing on the things that are not what God has asked us to do, and we begin to do things for ourselves, we end up like him, spiritually speaking. Shallow, not very deep. And we run the risk of not fulfilling the potential God has given us. Because there is a process. When you fall, you can get up again. Have you ever looked at a caterpillar? When it goes into a cocoon, it does not tell itself, become a butterfly. There is a process We call this sanctification. It's a process of you becoming who God wants you to be. And it doesn't happen overnight. The same way that a caterpillar does not become a a, a butterfly from one day to the next, there is a process. And all that caterpillar has to do is trust the process trust that God is going to transform it from a creepy crawly to a beautiful winged creature. The same thing happens to us when we start compartmentalizing. Oh, no, no, that's the pastor's role. Oh, no, no, this is the X role. My job is only here. No. Peter, who was an apostle, who was not a priest... Says, you are a nation, a chosen generation of royal priesthood. You have the authority under God to bring light to darkness. He has given you all talents and gifts to do that. That's what makes us unique. How do you do that? The only way to do that is to follow Jesus' instructions. When he says, abide in me, remain in me, stay connected to me. Because you can't bear fruit by yourself. John 15 verse 4 and 5 says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, he says. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do everything. No, but that's, that's actually what happens, you know. We think that we can do everything. Or am I reading that wrong? There are times where we think we can, do, we can manage things by ourselves. Especially when it comes to sharing the gospel. Oh, I got this. But Jesus says, no. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. You want to be successful? You want to be a member who... Not only has substance, but is it effective? Remain in Jesus. Remain. It means that, despite of the difficulties you encounter, despite the troubles you experience, you are still connected. You are still there, gleaning from the nutrients of the vine. And don't worry, if he needs to prune you, he will. But remember, it's for your own good. I want to ask you this one last question before we close in round tables. Then how can we teach high standards and yet make sure that people, especially children and teenagers, fully sense the unconditional nature of God's love, knowing that you are a chosen generation of royal priesthood? How do you do this? How do you do that? Go. Let you guys discuss here a little bit. How do we, how can we teach high standards and yet make sure that people, especially children and teenagers, fully sense the unconditional love of God? How do you do that? How many of you have come up with a Great formulas. Go ahead. Just... Um, so starting at the home, tell right? The Lord, yep. Pray and tell that, you know, God is we're okay. Okay. So she saying that it starts at the home and to be ex- when you go out do what you've been taught and uh and follow follow the instructions that way, okay? Real quick, Loy. Okay. So Christ being manifested through you. Okay? Nate? Okay. So we have to understand the context of the rules, right? Okay? Um Steve? Okay. So not being judgmental if i can re- if i can summarize that in one word very good let me let me ask this how many of you this is probably too simplistic to mention i like loy was onto something how do you teach this first you need to understand yourself the unconditional love God has for you. I'm not going to go into the formulas. I'm not going to get into, hey, the rules the rules are good, God gave us the commandments. Uh, the Bible is full of things that, and, and, and things that we should abide by and live by. And Jesus said, "If you love me, obey my commandments." But the key word there is, if you love." then you'll obey. The reality is there are too many of us who don't quite understand or address the root cause of our unselfish, or I should say our selfishness, is because we don't truly grasp the unconditional love God has, has for each and every one of us. We may say or sing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But do you really? Do you know for sure that Jesus loves you? Because the result of you being filled with God's love is a life that is an example, is a life that is exemplified. And that exemplifies his love to others that does not condemn the world, but it works to serve towards the salvation of the world. You are a minister. Either you like it or not. Either you own that title or not. Being a member of Christ's body means that you are a priestly individual. Some of you are builders. Some of you are dentists, doctors, nurses, business owners, musicians. Whatever it may be, you are still called to ministry to others because Jesus ministered to you first. That's what it means to be a member To be a member of Christ's body means that you are a minister, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Oh, pastor, but I don't deserve to be given that label. I haven't gone to school. Again, you're compartmentalizing here now because you have done that for such a long time. I asked the question not long ago, how many of you would want your child to be a pastor And none of you rose. rose. Okay? None of you raised your hands. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Okay? The rationale is anything but that. But in reality, God has said everything, including that. You are a minister of God no matter where you go, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. God's asking you to be the example. Yes, it starts at the home. It starts with allowing God's love to flow through me. But you need to understand the unconditional love for yourself first. Perhaps this morning I am talking to somebody who doesn't quite get it. And I'm not calling you dumb. I'm just saying you probably don't realize how deep, how wide, how tall God's love is for you. Maybe you need to have a moment and you say, Lord, Remind me of that love again. Remind me of what it's like to be the one person you're rooting for. I had a I had a a friend in high school and in my yearbook, she wrote, I'm your number one fan. And we never dated. She was a true friend. God is your number one fan. But you need to understand and come to grips with that realization. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be the example. He wants you to be a minister. Not because you have to be A pastor, but because you've been given the role of royal priesthood because Jesus died for you and he wants you to walk in good works. Either a plumber, builder, coach, dentist, you fill in the blank, you are a minister. God bless you.